Hello, and welcome to another episode of Trial by Podcast. I'm Ethan Aitchison, a law graduate at McCabe Kerwood, and with me today is Stephanie Lowy, another graduate with the firm. Today, we'll be talking about pets and apartments, and what to do when the people you live with hate your pets. So, Ethan, dogs. Big dogs, small dogs, fluffy dogs, fat dogs, skinny dogs. Talk me through it. Whether you're a cat person or a dog person, chances are that at some point you'll own a pet. And with apartment construction in Australia having boomed over the last few years against a backdrop of high property prices, there's a fair chance that many people listening to this podcast will live in an apartment at some point. So what happens when you move into a property that won't allow you to bring your pet with you? Well, nobody wants to give up their pet. They're like family, right? Well, a case about this issue fell on my desk recently, where a client had purchased an apartment in a building that was full of dog owners. In the apartment, there were dogs that were small, that were big, that were fluffy, that were short-haired and that were long-haired, but her dog wasn't allowed to live there. And the reason for that, unknown to her, was that the strata bylaws applicable to the property had changed. Ethan, for those who don't know, what's a bylaw? It's a good question. So basically, bylaws are a set of rules that are set up by the owner's corporation of an apartment building. An owner's corporation is a legal entity that combines all the apartment owners in a strata scheme and basically represents their interests. So if you own an apartment, chances are that at some point you're going to be a member of an owner's corporation. Everyone who lives in the building needs to follow the rules in the bylaws. And they can cover almost anything from parking to liquid storage, construction, and as the case may be, they can also put restrictions on what pets residents can have and the circumstances in which they can have those pets. Right. That makes sense. So in this client's case, the owner's corporation had changed the rules about pets, but the people who already lived there with their pets were exempt from having to comply with the new rules. That's the long and short of it, yeah. So in this particular client's case, the new bylaws allowed people who lived in the building to have dogs that weighed under 10 kilos at full growth without having to obtain permission from the owner's corporation. So in effect, the other residents. How big is a 10 kilo dog? Well, to put it in context, my dog's medium sized and he weighs about 25 to 30 kilos. A chihuahua weighs anywhere between roughly around a kilo and three kilos when fully grown. So the rules basically said that you can have a chihuahua or something of a similar size, but anything significantly bigger, like a medium or larger sized dog, needs approval. That's it. So if the dog weighed more than 10 kilos and the residents basically needed to vote in approval of the dog living there, our client's dog will weigh between around 11 and 14 kilos when fully grown. You're kidding. So potentially one kilo over and everyone has to vote on it. No, not kidding. But, you know, it had to go to a vote. Rules are rules, right? So what happened? Well, the Strata Committee didn't vote in her favour and now she's challenging that decision. That's the usual outcome if an agreement isn't reached at any subsequent mediation anyway. Right. So what do most people in her shoes do? If the residents say no bueno and similar rules apply, is that usually the end of it? Practically speaking, usually people moving into an apartment complex know what the bylaws say about pets, and they make a decision about whether to move in based, in part, on that. It's also worth noting that just because a strata committee has to vote on something, that doesn't necessarily mean that they'll say no to it. People are often pretty reasonable about this sort of thing. And when they're not? Well, that's the point where the law comes into action. 
So here where we are in New South Wales, Section 157 of the Strata Schemes Management Act allows for the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal, which is known as NCAT, to make an order declaring that the owner or occupier of the property can keep their pet there. What would you need to prove? Well, here's where it gets interesting. So you need two things. Firstly, the bylaws that apply need to allow for the pet to be kept if the owner's corporation approves it and provide that the owner's corporation can't unreasonably withhold consent. Now, most bylaws are going to have a provision to that effect. Secondly, and this is the most important thing, NCAT needs to make a finding that the approval to keep the pet on the premises was unreasonably withheld. And that really brings us to the crux of the issue, which is, put simply, what you'd have to show to demonstrate that consent had been withheld unreasonably. Surely there's precedent though, right? Well, there is. A good case study for us to look at uh, is one from early last year involving the Eisen family. So the Eisens owned two cavoodle dogs. For those wondering, they're a small crossbreed dog, the offspring of a poodle and a King Charles Spaniel. Very cute. And they owned a holiday rental home where they spent about 20 weeks a year. Now, when they visited their holiday home, they bring their two cavoodles along. And a complaint was eventually made after what the other side referred to as a full-on continuous bark fest from 9pm to 10.30pm one night. People didn't love it. And a complaint was made in writing to the Isons. Remove your dogs. You don't have permission to keep them on your property. And having them there is in breach of the bylaws. Now, the Isons ignored the complaint and nothing happened for months until they brought their dogs to the holiday rental again. And another complaint was made. After that, the Isons wrote to the owners corporation and they sought consent to keep their dogs there. There was a vote and the Strata Committee refused by majority to give that consent to the Isons. Mediation failed and the matter progressed to NCAT. The Isons won in the first instance and the owners corporation appealed to the appeal panel who looked pretty carefully at the different arguments that had been raised as to whether or not consent had been unreasonably withheld. Right. So the owners' corporation said that the dogs were noisy and disturbing the residents? That was one of the things they argued, yeah, that at first instance proper weight hadn't been given to that, among other things. The other points they made were basically that the dogs placed residents at risk of falls because they could become entangled with the dog's leashes, they might urinate, and someone might slip on a wet patch and people might have allergic reactions to dog dander. Sorry, dog dander? Yeah, I didn't know this when I first looked at it either. So think dandruff, but for dogs. Right, dog dandruff. Okay, go on. Well, the Isons offered up a commitment that they'd make sure the dogs travelled directly from the car park to their holiday home and that they'd clean up after the dogs as soon as they soiled anything. Dog dander wouldn't be an issue if the exposure of the dogs to the residents was barely a thing, right? Right. And what about entanglement with the lead? Well, unsurprisingly, the appeal panel made the point that by making sure the dogs went directly from the car park to the holiday home, the risk of residents getting caught up in the leads was pretty low, particularly if the dogs were being kept on a short lead. Okay, and the barking, what about the significance of the full-on continuous bark fest? <laughs> well, the owners' corporation were relying on a single event in making out the dogs were super loud. The Isons presented evidence that the dogs had lived with them elsewhere without incident, and the owners' corporation conceded that there hadn't been any further complaints about the dogs making any more noise. This was effectively a one-off, and because of that, the tribunal chose not to give a great deal of weight to it. So what did the appeal panel find? They upheld the first instance decision. So they found in favour of the Isons, the dogs could stay subject to conditions. 
I think what's more interesting, though, is what we can actually take from the approach they used in the case. So what it would indicate is that where the concerns raised by residents regarding disturbances or safety can largely be mitigated against and dealt with in a practical sense, NCAT may consider that sufficient to make an order that the pet can live on the property, subject to conditions to ensure that those concerns are addressed. So hypothetically, if I had a dog that was the size of a sumo wrestler and my building bylaws didn't allow it, but the bylaws were worded in a way that allowed for me to go to NCAT, which I assume most would be, I could potentially keep the dog if I showed that I could mitigate any risk? Kind of. So let's take your example and let's say that your dog is fat, really fat. And people are scared that when it's peak hour and everyone's running out of their apartments in the morning for the train, they might trip over it. That's our risk to residents. Sure. And noise isn't an issue because our dog, I don't know, doesn't have a voice box, so doesn't bark and bother people. So the size is really the only issue at hand. Sure. So in that situation, the tribunal might consider a condition that you don't take your dog out during peak hour and that it's walked at certain times sufficient to ensure resident safety and that they're not disturbed. And, you know, maybe you'll also have to put it on a diet to limit the tripping hazard over time as well. That could possibly be enough to get you over the line and persuade the tribunal that it would be unreasonable to withhold consent to let the dog live with you in those circumstances. It's really dependent on the facts, but it seems to be a matter of common sense. If the issue is residents being bothered or feeling unsafe, are their concerns reasonable? And if they are, can they be mitigated by taking some sort of practical precaution? If so, an order could be made in favour of the pet owner, either straight up or subject to certain conditions. And that's all we have time for today. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Trial by Podcast, a show hosted by McCabe Kerwood, examining the weird and wonderful world of the law and some of the more fascinating issues that affect our lives and those around us. And if you haven't done so already, I recommend that you listen to our previous episodes, which are also available for download. Please review us on iTunes and follow us via the podcast app on your phone, as this will help other law students and lawyers alike to find and enjoy the show. Thanks again for listening. We hope to be in your ears again soon.